32 counties. And 32 questions. Una is Anamdam. Andrea is my name. And this is United Ireland. We usually, usually is probably the wrong adjective. Uh, we used to. We used to take a county, <laughs> dive into an issue relevant to that county and then see where in the world it brings us. Uh, but in these extraordinary times, we are responding to issues emerging from life within a fucking global pandemic. This week, while it's tempting to keep running after the clown car on fire, that is the government's communications abilities, we have a sense that a lot of people are on the edge at the moment and on edge. Uh, and with Dublin on also on the edge of another set of restrictions, let's step away from the shit show and collectively take a breath. Welcome to the Hope episode. <laughs> this is not sponsored by Obama's campaign. Um, in this episode, we've gathered a bunch of people whose opinions we really respect to offer some not post-pandemic hope, because who knows when that is? Is that the opposite of hope? This is more what people are finding hope in that's coming out through the pandemic. So whilst it can, as I often quote my chitty chitty bang bang, up from the ashes of disaster grow the roses of success. So what are those roses that are coming through and how can we find the positivity, the vibes, the creativity, the shoots of hope that are coming out of this fucking shit storm? Um, and I suppose we're really going for it this episode because I have felt that loads of people are just really pissed off at this stage. I'm just over watching the news, waiting for the next announcement, having the anxiety as it trickles through the media where, as it's been leaked in the few days before the official announcement is to make us all more palatable to what's about to come. Um, and that journey and cycle of anxiety needs to kind of be managed and if we we were talking about it, like obviously we'll do like some take on what's been going on this week and the shit show of comms and how that press conference went and how it was all managed but then it just feels like we're feeding into this negativity this cycle of news and like and hyping it up and what we really need to be doing is taking a step back and realizing that whilst all this is going on, there's still, like, if you step out of your house and walk around, the world is still turning. Correct. <laughs> um, Correct. The what... world is still turning. <laughs> I confirm <laughs> that. <laughs> um, thank you to our new Patreon pals. You are the best. And to our OG Patreon supporters, you are also the best. Um, we That's have some news. Yeah, we have some news. Oh, yeah. Andrea? Oh, I was just making sure we were getting that news in. We are going to be adding to our tiers uh, and making it all uh, a bit more streamlined and fun. Fun! Nothing says fun like supporting us on Patreon. But also, our new It's Bananas totes are hitting the shelves of our virtual shop that we're about to make this week. Very excited. They were taken out in Trap Pop. Um, as they have been delivered, they're they're in real life, um, and uh, Billy, our desk man, took one out, and literally all the clients in the in Trap Popper are like, "Oh my god, where can I get one? They're that gorgeous." Designed by the wonderful Sarah Fox, as always. Um, 
And when you sign up to Patreon, if you haven't signed up yet and you're listening, uh, you get um, various bits and rewards and the joy and love and positivity of supporting this independent podcast. And you also get the Sunday Soothe, which has been very, very helpful recently and has kind of prompted me to... um, I was saying to Sarah the other day, I was like, I think I want some wind chimes to just like... No, oh is that bad? Yeah, I I'm, feel like I'm watching a few of my friends going down this route of um, finding grass and wind chimes. Let's just say, and I know what the common denominator is, but we'll come back to that. Uh, um, do you think I've been radicalized by the Sunday Soothe? <laughs> I think you've been radicalized by the Sunday Soothe, but I think as much as it's beneficial for people to listen to it, it's very beneficial to make it because it makes you kind of focus on the world still turning during this shit show. As we have previously established, the world is, is still <laughs> yeah, turning. But no, maybe wind, wind chimes, yay or nay. Okay. Um, oh, we have a bonus podcast coming this week, which is a Culture Night special, which we recorded at the Science Gallery. Uh, that's going to be going out on Friday of this week, which is Culture Night. So listen out for that. But first, it's mm, kind of hopeful, not very hopeful. The state of the nation. Okay, just a quick rundown of how the government is coping this week. On Tuesday, there was a pretty crap press conference uh, launching this living with COVID plan, kind of a six month plan thing. And the levels uh, ministers were then contradicting each other with Stephen Donnelly saying that you could travel outside Dublin, but then Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar uh, saying, no, you can't. Uh, despite outlining what they said were clear levels, um, they then announced that Dublin had its own special level of additional oh, restrictions. Why did they not use Avicii's levels as their soundtrack? I was literally about to say that I'm so disappointed that, oh my you know, God, we're so <laughs> morning, morning Ireland or, or drive time aren't like just have this like Avicii bed underneath everything Stephen Donnelly says. Maybe we could do that. Andrew, <laughs> play Levels by Avicii. What else? Oh yeah, so then they so they did announce that uh, Dublin had its own special levels, 2.5 uh, additional restrictions. That added to confusion. Uh, then Stephen Donnelly felt unwell. He had to get a COVID test, meaning Ronan Glynn and the entire cabinet he'd been at a meeting with were told to self-isolate. This led to the Kian Corler dramatically announcing to the Doyle that he had got very serious information and that proceedings were going to have to be suspended until the following week uproar ensued because that didn't sound like a very smart protocol. Then that was reversed and the cabinet had to limit their movements and the door was allowed to resume with the million junior and super junior ministers time to shine. But then Donnelly got his test back in record time and it was negative. All of this overshadowed the actual plan, which remained quite confusing to a lot of people. The following day, to clear things up, Fianna Fáil nicked the Irish Times graphic explaining the levels and posted it to their social media without crediting it as they clearly didn't have anything better despite having an entire suite of advisors, press secretaries and press officers and the Department of Health recently hiring a PR company, Tenio, to help them communicate their message. Just another 24 hours in the paradise that is Ireland under COVID and this coalition government. Anyway, um, I did enjoy 
uh, Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue coming out and saying that the government needs to take responsibility if there is confusion about the plan uh, that came out. Now, well, Pascal is in government also. Like, this yeah, is what Fine Gael are doing. He was saying a collective, we have to take responsibility. Um, I kind of feel sorry for Pascal, actually. I really Just because, you know, um, I don't know, I... I you know, I feel just the, the undercutting that Fine Gael are doing. It kind of reminds me of when Leo Varadkar was Minister for Health. And any time there was a problem with something to do with health, which was all of the time, he would kind of go on radio and be like, I know, it's so ridiculous. Like, it's so bad. Like, we really need to do something. And it's just kind of, but you're the Minister you're, for Health. I feel like Fine Gael are doing that now. They're like, well, you know, we have to clear this up and blah, blah, blah. And they're trying boy, to... Owen Murphy ran his own, whole homeless... Uh, portfolio it was literally like yeah we really need to do something do you think maybe you as a health as the minister for homelessness might do that um <laughs> yes exactly so they're kind of obviously constantly undercutting um Fianna Fáil and thinking that this is gaining them political points risky business risky biscuits uh to to be playing because they too are in government and I'm not entirely convinced if people are suspending their um, belief and plonking all of this uh, at Fianna Fáil's door, although, you know, chaos in, well, in Fianna Fáil. I suppose the um, poll that was done last Sunday might say it is working as uh, Fianna Fáil are down to 10. Um, Eamon O'Keefe coming out saying we're going into obliteration. We need new uh, management leadership. Yeah, and Jim O'Callaghan as well getting mad uh, shirty on Twitter. The next thing, of course, that will happen is that there will be a heave against Micheál Martin, uh, which is exactly what you need uh, in the middle of a national and global crisis. Oh, I love Micheál Martin. Um, So bizarre, my love for Micheál Martin. But anyway, another thing that I love is this trend on Twitter um, that is literally, if anything happens, it's like like Leo Varadkar's first words were Sinn Féin. Leo Varadkar (laughs) says that... uh, Corona was started by a spice bag, Mary Lewis. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> like, can't stop saying Sinn Fein for everything. It's so funny. Um, the the this kind of um amateur hour again, or amateur amateur many hours preceded something much more serious, which is, of course, that Dublin is about to go into the level three of restrictions. Um, very widely expected, and uh, that basically just means more more restrictions. Um, it, it can be hard. Like the 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 levels are clear enough when you, but you do have to go and read about them if you really want to know uh, what's going on. Look at the Irish Times graph. You could look at the Irish Times graph, but then there's all other bits. You're like, but what about? Can I go I, okay, play, like hang out with my friends in a park? This is going to be controversial. So get ready. Okay. Use your own interpretation of the guidelines. Okay, that is not what you meant to be doing, Andrea. Oh, no, hang on. Use your own interpretation of the guidelines within guidelines. That's like, if you use your head of like, will this stop Corona? Then do it. If it with it, like, let's say if like, if for example, Grogan's are really losing their shit as a wet pub. I was saying if I was Grogan's or if Chop Pop was a wet pub, I would have created this beautiful pina colada sandwich with soup because that's a substantial meal and sold it. 
So, what is in a pina colada sandwich? This is just a I, bounty. We're not a bar, so I haven't created it yet, but stand by. It could be next. Sounds kind of gross, Andrea. Well, say. whatever. I would have made a tropically inspired sandwich, whatever. But like, so if you're going to follow the guidelines of the social distancing and masks and table service and all that jazz, within those guidelines, just change and adapt to meet the guidelines and make them work for you. So it's not yes. that you're breaking guidelines. It's just working within the guidelines in the best way possible. And um, because I just feel like it's really a kick in the teeth, this uh, the lockdown stuff for people who are following the rules to the letter. And I've, mm. and I've seen restaurants in particular going, what is going on? People are canceling the, all the confusion. It's like, well, take a firm stance of what you're doing that's within the guidelines and go with it and not wait for clarification because it's written there and you interpret it whatever way makes the most sense to stop Corona. Yeah, I think this is like what we're always talking about, about fighting the context versus thriving within the context. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in in many ways, there there isn't that much point to constantly uh, giving out about the guidelines per se. Absolutely question the way that they're being delivered, you know, uh, that fact that this, you know, plan, the living with COVID plan probably should have um, been brought to the public a couple of months ago and absolutely give out about the, you know, the lack of supports, the cutting of the pup, all that kind of stuff. But I think you're right. Yeah. Thrive, thrive within the guidelines, not fight. That said, um, these restrictions, like the level three stuff, it, it is quite um, harsh, I suppose. Can I say and it's different thing of the level three? What? It's very selfish, but it's really harsh. My 40th birthday is going to be obliterated into a wisp of smoke. Yeah. And as a party girl, you know how that hurts. I know. It it's very me. hard. And I think that's the most serious part of level three. Um, well, I'll, I'll just uh, I'll set, put a request into Stephen Donnelly's office there, see if he can address that. Thank you. Which he probably actually would. Um most pertinently, I suppose, uh, you know, there's no real travel outside of Dublin. Um, I was actually meant to be going camping this weekend in West Cork. That's off, uh, well, which is fine. Huh? Not yet. Oh, no, it is. It is. Yeah. Even in the current restrictions, it is off. So the level three stuff, I suppose the things that, that people need to kind of get into their heads is that you can only have visitors from one other household. Um, in your home or garden. Can we wait till level three comes in to talk about level three? I feel like Okay, okay, okay. But I just think people need to get get into their heads because I think that because we've been dealing with fluctuating between different things, like before you go and hang out with your mates in the park or want to do something, do look at uh what the restrictions actually are because you don't want to accidentally break them just because um they're confusing. Um there are no social or family gatherings outside of your home. Or garden. Just remember that that that's that's a big one. Um, but this is and, three, and we're not in it yet. Okay, 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 okay. I'm just getting ahead of it. I'm getting ahead of it. Okay, listen. You know what? For the first time, well, not the first time. There's many times. I live in Wicklow. <laughs> so good. Oh my god! <laughs> so good. Your Blessington abode has come through. Mm-hmm. So um, that's all that. Let's see where we end up after this weekend or after Friday. But this week, we are on a hopeful tip. 
leading on from Andrea's weekend go a trance tip, uh, which she announced on the Sunday Soothe. Um, so let's move through all of that stuff, all of that mess, all of that confusion, all of that anxiety, uh, you know, the kind of very heightened buzzing, vibrating energy that's that's taking over a lot of people at the moment. Let's get beyond that. Let's try and not be addled by it. And let's think about a hopeful future. In this episode, and we've gathered... Present. And a hopeful present. In this episode, we've gathered a bunch of people uh, to discuss what their hopes are, what they want to emerge, uh, want to see emerge from the pandemic, what good things we can hold on to. And... Uh, so sit back, relax, um, put on your wind chimes. Or and maybe put your uh, earphones in, walk mm. outside, walk around the world that still continues to see grass growing, that still continues to see the trees that have been there for years sprout and turn orange as autumn begins to take its toll. Go for a swim, take your earpods out first. Feel nature. It's still happening, even if it's on fire some places, but we'll forget about that because this is hope. Okay, so first up on the messages of hope, it is Mary Lou MacDonald. Well, I think that this crisis has exposed so many of the things that are fundamentally wrong in our society, like within our health service, within housing provision, the crazy idea of co-living, you know, putting people in shiny new tenements. It's, it's exposed the nature of how so many people work, how badly so many people are, are treated at work. And I think from the ashes of COVID, we actually have a huge opportunity in a big way to reshape Irish society, um, including uh, how we view the border. Uh, I think we have an opportunity to remove that and to actually build a new Ireland. So I want us to, to grasp that. I think one of the other big things is that the, this um, crisis has left people physically and socially distanced and many people feeling isolated. So here's the challenge for us. We have to reimagine what, a living, what living cities look like, our nightlife, how we socialise, what do clubs look like now? What's the theatre going to look like? How do we enjoy the arts? All of these are big challenges, but I, I think there's ways in which we can be creative and ingenious in creating more and, you know, new social opportunities. So that's it. A new Ireland, a joyful Ireland in which we, you know, we live together and we, we also have the crack. Gary Gannon, Social Democrats TD. I'm really hopeful that what the pandemic has enabled us to do is demonstrate the type of lies we told ourselves up until January 2020. I can't help thinking about how many times people would stand forward and talk about an Ireland of full employment and never actually acknowledge the lives in which people existed under that false headline. And the pandemic has enabled us to see Ireland as it actually exists and it stripped away the lies and showed us that that full employment was built, built on very shaky grounds. And now, in a post-pandemic world, what I'm really hopeful for is that we can't but aspire to build a better Ireland, one where we enact social provisions in order to afford dignity to our citizens who have been greatest impacted by this um, healthcare crisis. So if you think about people in direct provision centres, we've been campaigning to eradicate direct provision centres for years. 
and then a pandemic happened and direct people in direct provision centres who've always been societally vulnerable once again the worst off here that can't that can't continue in a world post-Covid a housing crisis where people were living in suitable and overcrowded accommodation became a healthcare crisis that we're all impacted by if people couldn't socially distance. We have to aspire to build a social system that gives dignity and protections to people. So in a world pre-COVID, I'm hopeful that we can install dignity. Dignity in terms of how people live, in the type of access to societal provisions we have, be that healthcare, childcare, education, and the manner in which we protect our citizens, knowing that we're all in some way connected. If we're not doing that, we're not looking to build a new republic post-COVID, and all we're looking to do is recalibrate ourselves back to January 2020, well then we're going to miss an extraordinary opportunity to be better. So that's me as I'm hope. I'm hoping that we can't no longer lie to ourselves and that we have to build a society based on the idea of dignity where the state affords provisions to its citizens, knowing that that's the best way we can protect us all. Liam Herrick, Executive Director, Irish Council for Civil Liberties. I think one of the things that's come out of the whole COVID period is that it's really opened our eyes to the cracks that are there in our society and we see our community through a new lens, through the lens of a contagious disease. And what you see is that there's a lot of very vulnerable people living all around us. And in the COVID period and the initial response, the government actually just got services to a lot of those people more quickly. Uh, homeless people, drug users, people with mental health difficulties, people in need of financial support. Um, not perfectly, but I think we got services to people cutting through red tape. And it'd be great to think that when all of this is over, we will actually build essential services around the needs of people rather than the needs of the, the, the bureaucracy. Um, the other thing I think we've seen is that some structures we have just, just can't be sustained. You know, we, we can't keep things like direct provision, working conditions for people in meat factories or overcrowded housing in Dublin. These things are too dangerous uh, and they are ongoing human rights violations. And I, I think the momentum is there now to abolish these atrocities in our society and the people want to see that happen. So I think that needs to be followed through on. Uh, on the positive side, because we have been living in a smaller space, you know, in our neighborhoods, we're not traveling, that I think we've all grown to appreciate and, and to love where we live a lot more. Um, we appreciate our little cafes, our little restaurants, our parks, our football clubs. Um, and I think that's momentum too, to, to really cherish these things and invest in them. And the fact now that it's more, easy to cycle around town and that our parks are being looked after, you know, that's something I think we can really see to make Dublin a really livable city. My name is Angela Dorgan and my day job is advising, supporting, developing and uh, encouraging the careers of musicians, of Ireland's musicians, developing the soundtrack to Ireland's future. Um, I also, uh, in a volunteer capacity, am the chair of the National Campaign for the Arts. Um, am I hopeful post-COVID? I am. I'm um, personally changes I'd love to see. I would love to see uh, more of the community I experienced on my street. Um, 
I live in Dublin One, a beautiful inner city community. Um, and straight away when lockdown happened, we started a street WhatsApp and just have looked after each other, picked each other up, um, you know, just were able to kind of solve local problems together during COVID, stuff we didn't see maybe when we were all going in and out of work every day um, and just became real during lockdown. So I'll be closer to my neighbours when this is all over. Um, I don't know if um, I necessarily think that the you know, everything will go back to normal. I hope it's new. I hope that everything that was great during this time stays and then that we're a better version of ourselves at the other end. Um, I'd also, however, on the low, on the negative side, um, I would love if somebody had invented how you could date um, and social distance at the same time. So maybe see more people. Um, maybe go back to setups within your, uh, within an agreed group of people. I don't know, that might be nice. Um, professionally, I uh, witnessed or I'm witnessing uh, a real appreciation for the arts and artists and the wider ecosystem um, of events and venues and festivals. Um, and an appreciation, a real appreciation and solidarity from the Irish people about how important art is and was to them during lockdown. So professionally, I think people will, and, and they already are, um, politicians are supporting the arts um, and and uh, helping them to sustain. Um, and I hope they do more for the wider community of colleagues in festivals and events um as well and that's my hope hi this is Sunil sharp um i think what i'd like to see mostly happen over the next couple of years and post pandemic if it is a couple of years i'd like to see less phones and i mean that's in day-to-day -day life uh but more so in in nightlife because i think day-to-day -day life we're going to use our phones naturally and we need to curb our usage probably in, in a lot of cases but i think when we go out and we go out at night i mean we've we've used our phones quite often as a as an extra companion or a bit of company that we're we've been hanging out with during the day and it's like we we're in this sort of modes that we have to continue using it when we go out and now because the cameras and video cameras are even better than they were before or much better than what they were before they're like pro level um, we're now using those at gigs to to take high quality photos and footage and all the rest and and this also becomes currency for everyone on social media and i get that um but it is coming at a great loss in terms of our own personal enjoyment and escapism and i'd love to think that the next generation and maybe even the current generation of of people who go out think about this and reflect on this while we're not going to clubs and we're not going to venues and just see that when we do return that we might try something else um, i.e. just put our phones away. I mean, we do see it in other countries and in other cities where they have no phone policies. And I think for that reason, there's a great distinction, a strong distinction between a festival event or a large one-off music event and a club event. And I think that's what will help separate the weekly grassroots venues and 
nightclubs from your typical large-scale festival. And at the moment, it's not that there's not a division because everyone knows the difference between a festival and a, a small venue or a weekly mid-sized music venue. But the problem is, is that the, the weekend gigs don't come across as juicy or as vital. And I think we need to make the club experience a little bit more vital. And a big part of that is taking it off of social media and ensuring that the only way you can really experience it is by being there. And yeah, that's what I'd like to see happen post-pandemic. And I think it could be a smart move for a lot of promoters and nights. Hello, James Cavanagh here. Um, you know, this past six months have been absolutely horrible for so many people in so many industries. Um, but we kind of have to cling on to hope, I think. And we, you know, have to look at the good that can happen from situations like this. Like, f the big thing for me is this whole period has given me a chance to reset and reassess and realise that I've, I've since realised, I've since fallen in absolute love with the whole country and I've done many a staycation and um, I know that word is a bit dangerous not a lot of people like that word but anyway I've gone down the country I've visited loads of places around the country in the past couple of months and um, normally I'd reserve my traveling for going abroad but I'm like hang on Ireland is stunning um, I just seen the Cliffs of Moher for the first time the other week. I'd highly recommend. But it's almost it's made me realise that I don't need I, you know, I don't personally need to live um in a city. Um, you know, it's made me realise we can, and a lot of people as well, we can work from. We don't have to be in a, a rat race, if you will, if you like. Um, we can all um. You know, there's so many work from home opportunities now, which I think is great for some for for some people. Um, and it, I think it's it's made people realize that you, we may be able to, like, spread our wings and maybe have some peaceful country life if that's what we want. Um, so I think, yeah, if anything, the reset and reassess of this whole situation has been great. It's made it's also made people, I think, pay attention to systems that are broken um, and um, and to not use words that conspiracy people use, which I'm allergic to. It's kind of made people wake up a little bit. Um, so I think if anything from this, I think we'll all just be a bit more in tune with ourselves and life and it, it, even though it's driven people apart socially distance in in a socially distant sense, I think it's drawn so many people together in a weird way. Um, but yeah, there, that's my tuppence anyway. My name is Philip King. I live about eight miles west of Dingle and I am the founder of Other Voices and a broadcaster and a musician. There are certainly going to be opportunities in front of us as we begin to reorder our world or attempt to reorder our world post-pandemic. This is a quote from Aaron Datty Roy, who puts it really succinctly. Our minds are still racing back and forth, longing for a return to normality, trying to stitch our future to our past and refusing to acknowledge the rupture. But the rupture exists and in the midst of this terrible despair, it offers us a chance to rethink the doomsday machine we have built for ourselves. Nothing could be worse than a return to normality. 
Historically, pandemics have forced humans to break with the past and imagine their world anew. This one is no different. It is a portal, a gateway between one world and the next. While that is eloquent and powerful, we hear many people saying, let's get back to normal. It would be great when we get back to normal. But we don't really want to go back to normal, do we? Because normal is what got us here. So where can we go? What opportunities are in front of us? And I'm going to talk to you a little bit just about where Ireland is from um, my perspective. We need to have a creative response. Politically, I guess we are heading towards, as some people call it, the twilight of democracy. We don't know what sets of circumstances politically and culturally are going to be in place as we emerge from this pandemic. Ireland is at uh, a very interesting point. We are 100 years independent. We are beginning next year a new, the first decade of a new century of independence. And what does that independence mean in terms of our relationships globally? Um, how are we going to be in terms of identity located as we are at the edge of Europe? Um, how are each one of our citizens here going to be individually? How are we going to be as families? How are we going to be as communities? How are we going to be economically and socially? And I've had the great good fortune and the great good luck to be part of what I would loosely call the creative community in Ireland. And I think that this community is very, very, very well equipped to engage with the opportunities to reorder the way we work and the way we are with each other in this new century of independence and post-pandemic, if we can be, even begin to think of when that might be. Hi, my name is Connor Habib, and I am the host of the podcast Against Everyone with Connor Habib, and I am also an author. Um, my Twitter is at Connor Habib, and I live in Dublin, and there is some Dublin sound in the background, so just enjoy that. Uh, I think perhaps before we do anything to move forward, some small amount of us, not all of us, but some small amount at least, will need to take account of Ireland itself in this moment uh, and the spirit of Ireland. So that is my hope and I'm going to explain what I mean by it. So much division and strife in Ireland occurs from people thinking in terms of a new Ireland or an old Ireland. In fact, these are opposing terms, new versus old. The new Ireland is the myth of progress, of going forward uh, when all that's really happening is an entering into the cycles of capitalism and a kind of materialism that tries to reduce love and human connectivity to numbers and quantities and economy. In other words, it's the economy just trying to crush politics and crush culture to funnel money to already wealthy people. If you want to know what I mean, just take a walk around Dublin and you'll see when you look at a lot of these unnecessary developments and the way the city has been run. So just take a walk and it can reveal to you the dream of that new Ireland. And then there's this idea of an old Ireland, which is 
a violently nostalgic longing for the way things were, for a sort of pure Ireland, which never really existed anyway. And it's born out of a lot of things, this vision, but at its center is a proposed concern for the erosion of Irish culture by the new Ireland ideas that I mentioned. but the tactics and perspectives of this old Ireland idea end up ignoring humanity and reality and thinking that there is a way to go back, which of course there's not. And in an attempt to do so, it ends up replicating the tactics of the colonization and cruelty and imperialism uh, that Ireland has experienced before. And at the same time, it purports to be fighting those things. Because of course, if you go back, you're going into wounds. These two approaches are what happens when the psyche of people and the anatomy of landscape and our material and spiritual lives have been scarred in a way so much that the scar becomes a chasm that people stand on one side or the other of. And I think that there's another path, which is a sort of path of scars itself, but recognizing the scar is there and that it's just one line on the anatomy of a beautiful island. So we start there with a vision of beauty and expansiveness, taking it all in, but from a principle of love and that principle of beauty. It takes a recognition of the spirit that runs through Ireland and not just the Celtic spirit, although that's part of it, and certainly not some metaphorical spirit, but the real one. What are the place beings here? What are the contours of the landscape that leave us breathless and in love? What are the friendly and curmudgeonly faces of our neighbors telling us? And how can we take an interest rather than getting into a fight of what's right and wrong with them, which is basically sort of original sin. I have to be right because it's so terrible to be wrong. Just evading that completely, looking into our neighbors' faces and thinking, how can I take an interest? What is the spirit in religious life, in the Catholic impulse that is liberated from the crimes of Catholicism? In other words, what is it that people who are still going to Mass and confession and so forth, finding so deeply meaningful? What is the value in there? What is the spirit of immigrant communities here? What gifts and capacities have people brought from Syria, from Nigeria, from America, from Poland and more? What are the Irish travelers telling us? And if you are an Irish traveler listening to this, what are the welcoming ears and hearts you found? Who they belong to and what happened in those conversations? The spirit of poetry, the spirit of literature, the spirit of farms and of the joy people find in cities. What are the stories and presences of the other world and the people who are still engaged with that? The sky, the weather, the newspaper, the plants and the animals, how do we touch each other, how do we desire each other? And when we see anger, what are the longings and care that propel that anger? What is the light beneath that anger? And what is all of this now, not 10 years from now, where anxieties of progress lie and not a hundred or thousand years behind? I know this sounds like a monumental task. (laughs) It's certainly not as easy as falling in lockstep with delusions of the new or old Ireland or, you know, taking up a a smaller task that has a, a definite end goal. But this is a real task and it's one that connects us. And it's not something that one does in a day, though you can do it with your day. You can do a day with it. 
I can't quite give you the instructions for it, but maybe there is one instruction, which is in listening to this, did something arise for you in this? Did something resonate for you? That's your first step because this is an individual process because you are part of Ireland and it's part of you. The ideas that we are locked in now uh, are abstractions and they're abstractions trying to dominate other abstractions. Abstractions always come from a fear or even a hatred of the real and of beauty. So now let's look to prepare for the other tasks that are going to be suggested by many of the other brilliant people talking on this show. Let's prepare, let's look. Some of us, just a small amount of us, imagine the conversations we could bring to the changing culture, economy, and politics of Ireland if we could see Ireland in this way, if we could see what was real, and if we could start it today. And you can. You can start right now. Elaine Feeney, poet, novelist, and author of As You Were. I think that hope has to just be the bedrock of of the human condition. I think without it, um, everything is impossible. And as trying as these times have been, both as a as a nation and as a world, I suppose, and on a very individual basis in the in the very heart of a family, I think maybe for me it has definitely brought me closer together with my kids that I've seen an incredible amount of. But back to basics, it reminds me a little bit. Lockdown reminded me a little bit of that time that the electricity would go when I was a child, and you'd end up having to, you know, um, actually talk to your siblings and to your mum. And for me, I think it has been really nice reconnecting as a family unit here, just the four of us. Um, and I'm I'm very grateful in some ways for this precious time together. As a nation, I suppose it has made us face our mortality almost as a united front. And I think whenever anybody does that, or as a group we do that, I think it's it's utterly humbling. Um, love to everyone at these trying times. Mazer, artist. Hey, yeah. Uh, what I sort of learned over the last six months, anyway, um, was that, well, I was I was forced into a position to sort of slow down, and when I did sort of slow down, it obviously gives you more time to understand things and look at things, evaluate things a little bit more. And um, I realised the pace that I was going at was uh, actually being a little bit counterproductive, and so when I took extra time to nurture the things that made me feel better. Uh, in return, they actually produced better work for me and better relationships and more compassionate with myself and others. And yeah, it's just really flipped everything on its head in the last six months now. And uh, it's going to for the next few months. Like it definitely there's an air of uncertainty with that, but once you become once you sit with that and you're you're okay with it, and you know I'm one or fortunate once I'm in a position where I uh, the isolation works well for me. I feel I can't speak for every creative obviously, but it's something that we always try to strive for is like uh, time and time with ourselves to work on our practice and uh, pre-COVID craziness. I was always fighting to find that time and then on the 12th of March 13th, 14th and 14th it was literally there was no no projects nothing going on everything stopped my gallery's closed and uh, the shock and worry comes into place first but after that I, I uh, 
learned, like most creatives, we have to sort of adapt to survive in our circumstances. So I just worked with that and realized, well, I've been always looking for this time for work. So it gave me, it rekindled something that I was worried I was losing. And that was like my sort of creative burn. And that's come back and it's sort of risen above everything else because I run a business as well. So an independent small business running a gallery and responsibilities associated with that. But uh, creativity came to the forefront now. And it's really had me restructure all my time. I'm Alva Smith and I am a feminist, LGBT and socialist campaigner. We've been going through tough times much, much tougher for some, many, than for others. And it's not going to get a lot better anytime soon. So we have to knuckle down now and do the hard thinking about what we've learned over these past months, how we can hold on to it, and how we can translate it into concrete action to build an equal world. We need to end the desperate inequalities so searingly exposed during the pandemic to close the chasm of shame between the few who have wealth, privilege and power and the billions who have less, little or nothing at all. We know in our heart of hearts that we have to build a world where everyone, whatever their circumstances, wherever they live, has a real chance at health, a home, family, a useful job, a life where happiness can happen. A world where we care first and foremost about people and their well-being, not shareholders, bottom lines and profit. We can do this. We've seen already how the world has been turned on its axis during this shattering experience. We've seen what works and what doesn't work. We know what we need to do. We need a revolution. Nothing less will do the trick. Well, that was very therapeutic, Andrea, wasn't it? See? Up from the ashes. I feel like I... Oh, come on, God, please stop <laughs> quoting Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. It's your new maid in Manhattan. <laughs> okay, so uh, speaking of... Well, actually, this is quite counter to hope. What is getting in the sea this week? Well, you know, as if I would counter hope. As this week is an episode of hope, there's no rant going in here. No siree. Instead, this is a directive to actually get in the sea. Even as everything else is stripped away, we still have the connection with ourselves with others and even if it is a bit difficult to connect with others we do have ways of connecting so do uh do work on it if it is being presented in different ways because connection is the spice of life and we also have nature so use this time to acquaint yourself and like I, I, this is obviously not a directive because I, if this was the the, the banana bread of stage two of the pandemic. So I don't know who I'm telling to actually get in the sea. But if you haven't, which is very hard to believe from Instagram, it's time to go to the beach and get in the sea. So hashtag hope and wet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and now it's bananas. Okay. Now this is a rant, but it's a, it's a, it's a nice rant in comparison to everything else. There I was off to the science gallery to record our lovely interview with Malatu for our Culture Night special, which is going out on Friday at 6 p.m., a video, no less, streamed. 
and I was dropped in and I was like perfect uh, we were we were recording we were to be there at 3.30 I stopped off at 3.15 to collect a coffee in many many coffee shops and they were all shut now I did mention this a number of times uh, during the recording to everyone who would listen but it's it's a it's a nationwide thing why do we not have coffee access post two o'clock or three o'clock now, Clement and Pico, shout out to them. They're up until six. Brilliant. So I can get a little caffeine hit. And if I'm in dire straits, um, I can go to Fallenberg because they serve coffee till they close. These are just my, um, what are those things called? Emergency? Hack. Go to. Hacks. Jesus. They're my coffee hacks. Uh, but when we so often and currently are looking with our relationship with alcohol in this country, if there is no alternatives to meeting people instead of going for a pint, if you can't go and meet someone for a coffee, um, it's obviously feeding into our culture and to the way we operate and to the way we uh, drink. So I would like a coffee for my drive home most nights and uh, and for my walk home and for everything. Coffee shops, please open late. Sad to see accents in Dublin um, close down because they used to open late. Mm. Um, I haven't. But yes, another slightly it's bananas thing in here, which is <laughs> Finnegale posted this achievements graphic on their Twitter this week, and it was literally like we were responsible for introducing divorce, non-prescription uh, uh, contraception. Uh, we were responsible for repealing the eighth. We were responsible for marriage equality. It was like, sorry, babes, are you on gear? Like Leo came out about uh, gays adopting children. You literally only went to, on to repeal right at the last minute, which is get in the sea. Brendan Helen was like, are they messing? Like, I brought divorce to the table. Someone else brought this. It was like, they are literally the positioning queens. Like, let's just say we're responsible for all this. Yes, bitches. Yeah, Fine Gael threw the first brick at Stonewall. <laughs> um, I think as well, it's like Fine Gael's achievements thing is just stuff that happened while they were around. <laughs> You know, we which you could, time, so there was. I know, I know. But sure, we could all we could all kind of say that, you know. Um. Yeah, it is kind of annoying, like the repeal and marriage equality stuff in it. I'm just like stony faced looking at that graphic. <laughs> if you can picture me stony faced, like an Easter Island head looking at the Finnegale graphic, that's what I was. Okay, moving on. More hopeful vibes. It's our fave bits. Okay, my fave bits this week. Denise Chyla is on the Late Late Show on Friday night. Do watch it. Um, just so, such a brilliant artist. That is going to be fire. My other fave bit, Gays, um, the Dublin International LGBTQ Film Festival uh, starts soon online and hopefully it's offline as well in the Lighthouse uh, 30th September to October 4th. This is always an amazing weekend of film. You can watch loads of stuff online. You just have to go to the gays website, gays.ie. And there's just always brilliant, brilliant films that don't get wider releases uh, often beyond the festival. Two of my recommendations are docu two documentaries. There's one called Steelers, which is about the world's first gay rugby club. Obviously, there's now bajillion uh, gay rugby clubs around the world, um, including our own Emerald Warriors. 
and another documentary called Welcome to Chechnya uh, about the situation there. So check that out. My other fave bit is also filmic. I watched I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the Charlie Kaufman, new Charlie Kaufman film on Netflix the other night. It is just amazing. So interesting. Jesse Buckley is the lead in it and she is phenomenal. So if you want to see one of the best performances I think I've seen in a film recently, um, check that out. And also, if you haven't read the Charlie Kaufman profile that was in the New, uh, New York Times a few months ago, it's honestly one of the best uh, pieces of, of arts journalism I've read actually in years. It's fantastic. So those are my fave bits. Andrea, what about you? Oh my God. I am so hopeful and namaste out of it. And I am putting that down to yoga. I can't get over how every time I'm anxious and stressed, I forget about how powerful getting back on the mat is. I did three classes um, during the week and it literally turns everything upside down whilst you're in Demer Dog. It's so bizarre to me how whatever this like witchcraft is, that you do an hour of it and suddenly you're literally the most positive, upbeat, seeing things in a new way person. And how can that come about from an hour on the mat? It just blows my actual mind. Like, and not in a like, whoa, that's so mad. It's like, whoa, that is so fucking mad. Like, I love the way there's a difference between the two ways that you can say those things. Inflection is really important. Uh, Another thing that I'm loving this week is part one of Clubbing is Culture um, on Culture Night. It is being streamed. There was a project algorithm have teamed up with Thinkouts and Emmer Hotels and they were projecting on all the places where clubs used to be and are now different things that are less fun. Um, and moments and footage from inside those clubs was projected on um, the, the places and recorded and it's going to be streamed on YouTube um, at 6pm on Culture Night um, and you just search Clubbing is Culture on YouTube and that stream will come up and obviously I'll be sharing it on socials and all that jazz so that is part one of that project which is lovely and then oh my god like the emotion and power this piece of footage had over me this week so obviously I've been like lamenting on what's missing from my life um, in a major way, which is clubbing and how much of an impact that has on my life. Um, and without getting too into the use of hyperbole, it is a life-changing situation of going clubbing in terms of community, in terms of um, feeling part of something, in terms of how you feel about yourself, about fun and how, like... Whenever I go back to anything, I break and question anything. I kind of go back to what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? And it always comes back to connection, uh, love and joy and spreading and being joyous. And clubbing is all of that. So clubbing is the meaning of life, obviously. But it was confirmed when I watched this footage of Hans Zimmer, who is my favorite uh, um music person who scores all the music film Philip music and films uh, his song time had a will clark remix and it was played in print works and somebody recorded the light show the, the it 
crescendoing into the club. And I, I literally was so overcome. I had a little tear in my eye. I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. And I laughed at myself. But then I watched it 50 million times. It was just so good. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Our tuna chicken, it does genuinely. Um, it also made, I, I saw, like, I, I find it, yeah, I find it hard to put myself back in that place of being in a club listening to amazing songs because it makes me feel a little bit bereft. But of course, it, it will come. Chucky or Sesh, as James Kavanagh would say. Um, the tuna chicken roll this week is an ultimate hopeful tune. It is stand on the word. Uh, we have been United Ireland. That was the hope episode. That was backwards. Keep- <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, You were Andrea. <laughs> yeah, all of those things. Uh, keep the head up. Um, things will get better. I know things are very frantic right now. Step away from the scroll have a little lie down in the grass or get in the sea in a nice way and um, sorry how did we overlook the tuna chicken roll this week how is it not dream? things can only get better <laughs> <laughs> I remember playing that as the first song when I was DJing at New Year's on New Year's Eve and Spy in like 2010 when things were really, <laughs> really grim and that was the first song and people were like hmm yeah sure um, but also it was very joyous so things can only get better and uh, shine on, you crazy diamonds. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>